بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين صلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى طيبين الطاهرين uh, إن شاء الله we are going to start uh, brief of course uh, reflection on سورة طه which is chapter 20 of the Quran and it comes after سورة مريم this chapter has beautiful ideas, very beautiful uh, points which we can relate to our life, we can get lessons from. The very first ayah is after Bismillah Rahman Rahim, of course, because we believe Bismillah Rahman Rahim is part of every chapter. We say Bismillah Rahman Rahim Taha. Uh, as you know, some of the chapters of the Quran start with what we call خروف مقطعه means letters which are not connected, disconnected or scattered or separated letters. Because all the words that we use are made from letters. But when they are combined in a special order, they can be combined and they form words. In Arabic, words are one of the three. Either they are noun or verb or preposition. Esm, noun, verb, fail, and preposition or half, which is different from half in the sense of letter means proposition so when we say for example alhamdulillah rabbil alameen ar-rahman ar-rahim again we have letters but letters which are combined and they have become words but then we have letters which are not combined they are just put next to each other this is called huruf muqatta'i means letters which are separated, disconnected. Some chapters of the Quran start with this huruf muqattai. Like for example, Surah Baqarah, Alif, Lam, Mim. Like Surah Maryam. Like Surah Taha. Taha. There are some general points about these huruf muqattai. Something that can be said about all of them. For example, according to some interpreters of the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us by using these at the beginning of subchapters that all the Quran, this magnificent word of God, is made from letters. We bring few letters at the beginning of surah to remind you of the fact that the rest of the surah is also made from the letters. So it's not that the Quran is so eloquent that no one can imitate because the material from which the Quran is made is special. No, the same letters that you use. Alif, Lam, Mim. I don't know, Kaf, Ha, Ya, Ain, Saad, Ta, Ha. These are all letters of Arabic language. In Arabic, we have 20, you know, eight lang uh, 28 uh, letters. So the same letters that you use in your language, in your speech, in your discourse, it is used by, they are used by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But what makes Quran special and separate is the combination, the order design that Allah has used how he puts these letters together this is important we can have the same letter and we say something very normal or sometimes we make mistakes but when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses these letters he uses them in the way that no person can speak like that so this is one point some people say that 
these letters are some secrets between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his prophet Allah has given some secret messages in these letters to the prophet so although the Quran is sent for the guidance of people guidance of humanity but there are some codes some instructions for the one who is responsible to deliver this message so 99.99% is available to all but there is a little kept only between Allah and Rasulullah and these are some codes for him that he knows what Allah means and he knows what to do and how to benefit from at the same time this can be humbling for us we should know that there are certain things that we can never dare thinking that I understand I know so Allah is telling us that there are things that you don't know and you can never know it's secret if you think till end of your life what is the meaning of Alef Lam Mim or Kaf Haya In Saad you can never know even you know if you guess this doesn't mean that your guess is correct so it humbles us it uh, teaches us that uh, you have not been given from knowledge except a little also some commentators say that these letters may refer to some of the points which are related to the main ideas in that chapter so it's not by chance or accidental that Surah Baqarah starts with Alif Lam Mim, another Surah for example is Alif Lam Mim Ra, another with Kaf Haya In Saad. No, there is a connection. Either those letters are referring to some main words or main ideas in that Surah or they are, those letters are very much used in that Surah, so there is a connection. In any case, there are different possibilities and maybe more than one can be correct there is no reason why only one of them can be correct and what I want to add to that discussion which is common is that with respect to this surah itself surah Taha there is an idea that Taha is indeed something familiar to Arabs it has been said that uh, Arabs sometimes used Taha to refer to a person means Oman so they say Taha means Oman so referring to someone according to a hadith from Imam Sadiq Taha is a name for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the hadith says that Taha uh, indeed is initials for two words Taha means a talib Ha means Hadi Talib means seeker, Hadim is guide. Talibul Haq, seeker of the truth, and Hadi al guide, uh, sorry, guide al Hadi, ilayhi il al Haq, seeker of the truth and guide towards the truth. So Rasulullah is called Taha because he was truthful. He himself was interested in truth, he was seeking truth, and also he was telling people how to get to truth. He was guiding them towards the truth. 
طالب الحق الهادی الیه and gradually Rasulullah was um, known as Taha so the name was so much used for Rasulullah that then people understood from Taha Rasulullah uh, in dua Nudba also we call Imam Zaman Yabna Taha or son of Taha and son of Rasulullah so in this particular Surah Surah Taha in addition to the general points that has have been said about uh, scattered letters there is a possibility that this Taha refers to Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam especially because the following verses the first few verses um, relate also to Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Allah says Ma anzalna alayka al-Qur'an We have not sent down the Qur'an to you so that you would suffer Allah says our intention was not to make you suffer to have miserable condition the reason for saying this is that according to some interpretations of the Quran Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam when he was given the task of reciting the Quranic verses to the people and teaching them the Quran yatlu alayhim ayatih wa yuzakkihim wa yu'allimuhum al-kitaba wal so Rasulullah took this very seriously he didn't you know take it simple Allah has given him a great mission Allah you know says for example to uh, Prophet Musa and also to Bani Israel when we give you something you have to take it with power means with seriousness so Rasulullah was so much conscious of greatness of the Quran and greatness of his mission that he was putting too much pressure on himself he was thinking a lot about what to do to guide people he was also very much concerned about the Quran and at the same time he was very much loving Quran so he used to recite the Quran a lot he used to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala while he is standing on his feet and reciting the Quran sometimes he was standing on his feet and reciting Quran for a long time then his feet or his legs used to swallow he had uh, difficulty in his body the soul was enjoying the soul was happy Rasulullah so much loved the Quran that he was not thinking about his body how much you know sleep I need you know how much for example rest I need of course even someone like Rasulullah when it comes to his body he has some limitations he's a human being like us so his body like our body needed food needed water needed rest sometimes became ill sometimes had uh, pain it is body I'm not saying 
body cannot be trained, body cannot be affected, body soul, body of Rasulullah was, you know, not being given a special uh, power because of the great soul that he had. No, definitely these are also true. But in the end of the day, body which is made from certain, you know, uh, organs and certain, you know, physical objects is body. So Rasulullah also had this pain. Sometimes he was standing on one foot and then after a little, giving a little rest to the other foot, he was standing on that foot which had a little rest. Sometimes he was standing on his toes. So Rasulullah was not stopping, not giving up, but you know he had to anyway shift his weight to one part of the body or the other part, you know, one part of the foot or the other part. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him we don't want you to suffer. We didn't expect you to suffer. If you are doing this, you are doing this out of your own interest, your own joy, your own feeling, great feeling of responsibility, of course. It's appreciated. But this is not what we want you to do. You know, it's not something as an obligation. It's something that Rasulullah did with love. Not out of, you know, fear, out of, you know, uh, for example, worry that if I don't do Allah is getting angry with me. No. He did it out of fear and love. Ma anzalna Quran We haven't sent down the Quran to you so that you would have a miserable life. So why did we send the Quran to you? Illa we only sent the Quran to you so that it can serve as a reminder. Tadhkira. means something that brings memories, brings something to your mind again. Means remind you. It's a reminder. Quran is a reminder. It is true that the Quran has new ideas that we never knew. One of the jobs of the Prophet was he used to teach people the things that they never knew and they were not able to know. You had no way to know them, no chance. No access. So in the Quran there are new ideas definitely. But as a whole, the Quran is a book which reminds us of our covenant with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our relation with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there are new things in the Quran, but the whole purpose of the Quran is tadhkirah. Is to remind us, to ask us to remember what we have forgotten, to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to remember the covenant. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Alam a'ahad ilaykum ya bani adam, Allah ta'abudu shaytan, innahu lakum adubun mubin, wa an'abuduni, hadha siratun mustaqim. Hasn't he made this covenant with you? Not to worship your enemy, Satan, and to worship Allah instead. And this is the path, which is the right path. Or for example, Allah says, وَإِذْ أَخَذَ رَبُّكَ مِنْ بَنِي آدَمْ مِنْ ذُهُورِهِمْ ذُرِّيَّتَهُمْ وَأَشْهَدَهُمْ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ قَالَ أَلَسْتُ بِرَبِّكُمْ قَالُوا بَلَىٰ 
أن تقولوا يوم القيامة إن كنا عن هذا غافلين. Allah reminds us of the covenant that He has taken from all children of Adam, all progeny of Adam. Allah has asked us to be a witness over ourselves, and then He said, "Am I not your Lord?" We all said, "Yes." So no one on the day of judgment would be able to say, "I didn't know. I was not aware. I was heedless." So, as a whole, the Quran has come to remind us of Allah, to remind us of our relation with Him, and in particular of the covenant that is between us and Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So this tazkirah is a reminder. I think also those who are good and capable teachers or preachers or in general guide for others, they also should be able to convey the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the way that people instead of thinking that they are always learning new ideas, they would think that these are bringing back to them the ideas that are familiar with them. You know, sometimes you teach people something and they say, yes, it is new, I never thought about it. But at the same time they say, when I think about it, it seems that I could have understood it myself. It was not you know, something beyond my access, but I don't know why I didn't pay attention. So bringing attention bringing memories this is very important of course you can always also say new thing but what I'm saying is that it's very important to unhide unearth the treasure which is hidden in every person so Quran is a reminder for whom who are to benefit from the Qur'an? Who are meant to be guided by the Qur'an? Who are meant to be reminded by the Qur'an? Of course, everyone. Every human being. Even, you know, jinns who have intelligence. They can also benefit from the Qur'an. But, who are the people who actually benefit? These are two different things. Who can benefit? Who is addressed by the Qur'an? Who was among the audience that Rasulullah had in his mind? Everyone. People of Mecca, people of Arab Peninsula, all over the world, that generation, coming generations, all humanity, all intelligent beings, all alameen. But who are the people who actually benefit? Who are the people who actually take this medicine benefit from this advice. Man yaksha. Those who have fear. Those who are fully aware of greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Without having that fear, that khashya, which is caused by understanding greatness of Allah and our weakness, we cannot benefit from the Qur'an. That khashya is very important. Of course, this is the role of knowledge, which is to make this khashya inside someone. Allah says, only ulama, those who have knowledge, have this khashya with respect to the Lord, they have this awe towards the Lord. They have this complete recognition of Allah's greatness and their own smallness, their own insignificance, this khashya. So, those whose heart is not hard, is not changed into like a kind of stone. The heart is soft, the heart is gentle, the heart is sensitive. 
when these hearts are faced with greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they have nothing other than khashyah. Therefore, when they listen to the message which has come from Allah, they become fully humble and they want to benefit from this. Man yakhsha. But when this quality of khashyah is not there, they don't listen to the word of God. And even if word of God comes to their ear, they don't pay any attention. Sometimes may repeat for you what they were told. So you recite for them a few verses, they recite back. Sometimes maybe they are even memorizer of the Quran. Sometimes maybe they are even teacher of the Quran. But if khashyah is not there, nothing goes into the heart. It remains either at the ear or goes even to the brain, to the mind, to memory, but not in the heart. Because khashyah is a quality of heart. And that khashyah is caused by understanding and acknowledging greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and our weakness, our poverty, our dependence on Him. Later, inshallah, we refer to the story of Prophet Musa and Fir'aun. And in that story also, we have this concept of khashyah. This concept of being reminded. Allah says to Musa and Harun, قُولَ لَهُ قَوْلًا لَيَّنَا لَعَلَّهُ يَتَذَكَّرُ أَوْ يَخْشَى Speak to him in a soft language, soft manner. Maybe he remembers, maybe he becomes a person who has this fear, this understanding and having awe towards Allah subhanahu is very much related also to that لَعَلَّهُ يَتَذَكَّرُ أَوْ يَخْشَى Either he remembers or even he goes further and reaches the level of having khashyah. Inshallah we will talk about this verse, you know, which comes inshallah later. So Allah says مَا أَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْكَ الْقُرْآنَ لَتَشْقَى إِلَّا تَذْكِرَةً لِمَنْ يَخْشَى we haven't sent down this Quran to you so that you suffer, you would have a miserable life. But rather we have sent it as a reminder for those who have this khashyah. And as I said, means everyone can benefit, but those who have this khashyah are the people who actually benefit. They uh, have voluntarily reach the level that they can actually benefit. Like for example, a muallim, a teacher, a, you know, instructor can teach 30, 40, 50 people depending on how large is his classroom, how many people are there. He can teach many, many people. But those who actually learn are the people who work hard listen carefully, practice, and so on, and so forth. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Tanzeelan mimman ard ula. Very beautiful. This Quran is Tanzeel, revelation. Sending down. Nuzul means come down, to descend. Tanzil means to send down. You know, we have two verbs in the Quran for revelation of the Quran or sending down the Quran. Sometimes we say enzal, sometimes we say tanzil. For example, we sent it down. We revealed it in Laylatullah. In Surah Dukhan. But sometimes Allah says, Nazzala. For example, Nazzal 
we send down a zikr, the reminder, and we are going to protect it. So, enzal is used, tanzil is also used. What is the difference between enzal and tanzil? Allama Tabatabai has the idea, which is of course not accepted by everyone, that enzal normally, if there is no other evidence, it means the revelation sending down the Quran at once as a whole package. And Tanzil is gradual revelation of the Quran over 23 years. So the Quran was revealed twice or in two ways. One was as one package, one was in a detailed, gradual way. The one which is one package was revealed in Laylatul Qadr. But the one which is gradual revelation took pla uh, a place in 23 years. Okay. So the Quran, which is Tadhkiratan Leman Yaksha, is meant to remind people who have fear, is Tanzilan Mimman Khalaqal Arda Wasamawatil Ula. It's a revelation from the one who is the creator of the world. Now, sometimes when people send us too many messages, then we may ignore them. We may not pay attention to them. Unless we know that this message is from a very important person, a person who is very dear to us, or we have respect for him, or we have, anyway, uh, responsibility towards him. Allah says this Quran is tanzil, it's a revelation, it's sending down which comes from the one who has created the whole earth. All these countries, continents, they are all created by him. So he is the best person to provide us with this guidance. And not only earth was and the lofty heavens. These heaven heavens starting with Asama Adunya, the lowest one which has a stars, or everything that we see, these stars, these galaxies, this all the, the lowest. And there are six other heavens on top of that so the one who is the creator of the earth and skies one earth and seven skies which also makes possible to say seven earth and seven skies sometimes we have one earth and seven sky sometimes we use another expression we say seven earth and seven sky and one interpretation is this that when you have seven skies on top of the earth each sky itself becomes earth for a higher heaven so altogether we have one earth and seven skies but we can look at it in this way that they say the highest sky and seven earth under it so the lowest earth would be the earth in which we live and the lowest sky would be the sky which is on the top of this earth so it is lowest sky and the second earth any case anyway uh, this Quran is sent down by the creator of the earth and all these lofty high skies or heavens so it is very important uh, I cannot describe it, uh, enough the importance of this message because who is more important than creator of the earth and heavens? Indeed, no one can be even compared to him. We cannot even say, there are people who are important, but Allah is more important. Yes, there are people who are important, but when they are compared to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are nothing. 
It's not enough to say Allah is more important. Indeed, He is the only one who is important. Because when you compare others to Him, you know, like for example, we cannot say, there are people who are knowledgeable, but Allah is more knowledgeable. No. When we compare the knowledge to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's better just to say Allah knows. Not that He knows better. He knows. Because anything other than His knowledge is so small compared to His knowledge that it's better not to say they have knowledge and Allah has knowledge, but Allah's knowledge is more. They have power and Allah has power, but His power is more. No, it's better to say He has knowledge, He has power. And this is why we interpret Allahu Akbar not in the sense that He is greater than others. Even we don't say He's the greatest. So He is too great to be described. He's too important, too big to be described, to be characterized. Tanzilan mimman khalaq al-arda wa samawat al-ula. Who is that creator? Ar-Rahman al-Arsh istawa. He is Rahman. In Surah Maryam and in this Surah, the term Rahman comes. This is another name for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Qulil Allah abid ar-Rahman. You can call him Allah, you can call him ar-Rahman. Allah has two important names. Of course, he has many names, but in the form of qualities, attributes. But he has two proper nouns, proper names. Something that can be used for him, like we use names of people uh, who are given a name by the father, for example, or mother. The name which is registered, it's put in your ID card, that name. Allah has two names which are registered for him. No one else should take those names. One is Allah, one is Ar-Rahman. This is different from Rahman, which means kind or merciful. This is in the sense of Allah himself, refers to his entire essence. Ar-Rahman, the one who is the Lord, the Creator, but with Rahmah, with mercy. It's very beautiful in the discussion about qualities of God and discussion about God's mercy. I have explained this, that Allah is so merciful that in the Quran, those qualities of Allah, those names which are used to refer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, more than anything else refer to his Rahmah. Even the fact that Ar-Rahman has become a proper name for him, proper noun for him, is significant. It means that Rahmah is so important that if you want to refer to him, he should say he is Rahman. Of course, he is also Rahim. Rahim is also very important. But the difference between Rahman and Rahim is that Rahim is used as an adjective, as a quality, but Rahman is also sometimes used to refer to his entire reality as a proper noun. Okay, this Ar-Rahman, this God, this Lord is Al-Al-Arshistawa. He has sat over throne, upon the throne. But when we say he has sat over the throne, this is the literal translation. Otherwise Allah doesn't sit or stand up, doesn't come or go, doesn't walk, doesn't run, doesn't, you know, need to have some nap or rest. So when we say he is Alal Arsh, is sitting on the throne it's definitely not in the sense of physical sitting on a bed or you know on the throne no 
it means that he has full control over Arsh. Arsh is like a command room. It's like a control tower. Everything is run from Arsh and is under the communications which come from Arsh. And of course, ulama say Arsh refers to Allah's knowledge because in the end, everything is based on knowledge. Even power, even love, everything is related to knowledge. I don't have time to explain this more. But for the time being, you know, please remember this. The most important quality, the most important perfection is knowledge. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is fully above this control or command room. He has full authority and sovereignty. Ar-Rahman, but his name is Rahman. It means that his authority, his control is based on Rahman. And he wants to make sure that this Rahman is spread through the system which is under Arsh. You know, if someone, for example, becomes president or leader who loves poem, then poetry becomes very important. If the one who is president or king or leader loves, for example, certain type of a sport, that a sport becomes very important. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is Rahman is standing on the, and sitting on the throne. So it means that Rahma becomes very important. Rahma is distributed all over the world and is expected from people and from creatures of God to have mercy. Mercy with respect to each other, mercy with respect to other creatures, mercy with respect to even themselves, not to do zone to yourself. You have to be kind and merciful with yourself. Not with your bad self, with your good self. The bad self you should blame, you should criticize, you should condemn, you should stop, you should try to change. But you have good side as well. And with respect to that also you have to be kind. Not to imprison, not to put it into difficulties. Ar-Rahman ala al-Arsh istawa. Allahu ma fi samawati wa ma fi al-ard wa ma baynahuma wa ma tahta al-thara. This Allah who is sitting on the throne, who has full control, everything comes under him, everything is under his control and command. He has ma fi samawati. He has everything which is in the skies. So not only he is the creator of the skies and the earth, also he is the owner of whatever exists in the skies and the earth. Whatever is in the skies is for him, belongs to him. And whatever is inside the earth belongs to him. Anything between the skies and the earth belongs to him. وَمَا تَحْتَ thara, And anything which is even inside, not only on the surface of the earth, inside the earth. So from inside the earth to the surface of the earth, then between earth and sky, and then inside the skies, everything belongs to him. لَهُ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا وَمَا تَحْتَ الثَّرَى Inshallah we continue next week. So let us stop here and answer some of your questions. The first question is Assalamu alaikum salam. I know that this is not the topic of today's discussion, but I am curious about the particular ceremony Imam Salam, the ceremony he gave after the Battle of Jamal. Regard to the yes, uh, I thought we 
answer this question but if not uh, this is a very long discussion and a brief answer is that definitely from Islamic perspective men and women are both equally human both intelligent both have potential for perfection for getting close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala anything has to be understood <clears throat> in the light of these important factors they can have perfection therefore they have capacity they have potentials which are unlimited a lady or a man can become better and better and better and better more knowledgeable and more knowledgeable and more wiser and wiser and wiser that's not an issue then there are some differences and these differences are not so great that make them two different types of for example beings two types of species no they are both human beings they both have potential but there are then some differences some of their physics is different some elements in the soul also is different but they are all human beings and all responsible so it means that men and women both can act freely and they must act responsibly if they are put in right context if you have proper education or upbringing they both can do great things unfortunately before Islam because women were looked at in a negative way they were, you know looking at them in a very negative way looked down so they were not receiving enough attention respect trust education so some of the ladies of that time or most of the ladies of that time had no experience had no wisdom no training no confidence no contact and therefore they were understanding only few things and many of them were only interested in little worldly things their dress for example their design of the house for example the food looking after for example their children of course not in a deep way just their physical you know maintenance but this is not Islamic expectation of a woman yes these are important but these are not the only thing that Islam expect from a woman if you want to know what Islam expects from a woman look at Lady Fatima sallallahu look at Lady Zainab sallallahu look at Lady Khadija were they less intelligent than men were they less rational and less wise less experienced less mature no those who were brought up in the house of the Prophet by people like the Prophet by Imams they were given so much of respect and education and orientation that they were better than most of the men not only women they were better than most of the men no man apart from infallible was able to even discuss with them even have debate with them when Lady Fatima was speaking or when Lady Zaina was speaking even the scholars had to keep silent 
Even the people who had traveled all over the world, they felt compared to them, they are like children. Okay, now in this context, you can understand why Imam Ali salam criticized some of the ladies of that time. That particular incident of Jamal was a good example that how some people try to uh, take advantage of some kind of uh, misunderstanding or some kind of, I don't know, um, disagreement between Lady Aisha and Amir al-Mu'min and use this as a reason for causing war, causing tension, and then endangering lives of thousands of people, endangering the integrity of Muslim world, and so on and so forth. So, my conclusion is this, that if there are hadith from Amir al about women, some of which of course are not known to be authentic, they are not proved or their weaknesses, but in the chain of narration, but in general, you have to understand that this doesn't mean that it has to remain like this. It doesn't mean that women are weak, essentially, or for example, they cannot give good consultation or good advice, for example, or for example, the rational power is not good enough. No. There are many, many things about their interpretation. I don't want to go into interpretation. What does it mean, for example, uh, their uh, benefit or in the way they enjoy, for example, faith is less, for example, or about their, you know, uh, rationality and so on and so forth. There are so many interpretations, but what I'm saying is this. Everything must under be understood this way, that Amirul Mumin is not talking about women as such. He is not saying that this is fixed condition of women. He is referring to some women who were put into this upbringing system, this educational system, and they themselves also did not achieve a lot. They were not developed and flourished in their rationality, in their wisdom, in their worldly rationality. Therefore, they were not able to understand properly or give advice properly or to have any kind of uh, social leadership. Question two. We know we must pray namaz five times and we say azan five times so why shia pray namaz every day three times no we say namaz five times but we can say two of them zohr and asr together and maghrib and isha also together but we are saying five times salah not three times it's just a matter of two of them is uh, coming after each other sometimes with an interval or sometimes continuously. It is better if we say our Salat in the time which is specified as the time of Fazila, recommended. Salat al-Zuhr can be said from midday till a little bit before sunset. Because that very last part is for Salat Asr. If someone has not said Zohr and Asr up to that time, he should only say Asr. Because Zohr has already become Qadha. But there are details you can learn from Rasal. But between midday and that time, there's plenty of time, several hours, 
You can say Salat al-Zuhr anytime, but it's better to say Salat al-Zuhr on time. And it continues as Vakht fazilat as a recommendation time, to sometime. Depending on the shadow, it can be calculated. Of course, different seasons is different. Salat as also the same. It can be said after Salat al-Zuhr, right away, or after some time, till... Uh, sunsets but it has recommended time so in our own hadith we have this concept of common time and recommended time you can do it in recommended time so it would be five separate uh, times or you can say two of them Zohan as together Maghrib and Isha together but every Shia scholar says that it's mustahab to say them in their wakht fazilat, in the recommendation time. But because we don't want to make life difficult for people, we recommend. Especially because we want people to be able to work and at the same time pray on time or to have Salatul Jama'ah. If we force them to do it in five separate times, then it might be difficult and they may end up with not doing anything. There are Muslims who say that you must say Salat five times, but then some of them, they don't say Salat at all. Uh, but unfortunately, in some schools of Islam, they don't have this concept of common time. They haven't understood this concept of Vakht Mushtarak. So they think it's necessary to say them separately. Although in their own hadith, for example, there are many hadith narrated by Ibn Abbas in major sahah that he says we used to say our salat separately and we used to say our salat together in the time of Rasulullah even Ibn Abbas says we used to say our salat together without having rain or being in journey because some schools of Islam they say when, when there is rain when you are in journey then you can say together or you know in Muzdalafa in Arafat but we say no this is not only for those times. Anytime you can say them together, and you have in your own hadith, and we have also this concept of common time in our hadith. So, just is a matter of what is better, uh, what is mustahab, what is recommended. Question three: Please explain and define hashia. How does it feel? Is it fear or love for Allah or both? How can it be attained and exercised? Uh, as we said very briefly, of course, we can always, you know, expand. Khashya is a type of fear which is caused by understanding greatness of Allah and weakness of us, smallness of us. It's not a type of fear that you have with respect to a tyrant, for example, ruler. Or, for example, you know, there is a thief, you know, in the house, you know, the children have, you know, fear that maybe this thief is coming and killing them, for example. No. This is the fear which is caused because you know how important he is, how great Allah is. And you don't want to do anything wrong. You, you feel, you know, you are very much uh, in need of watching yourself, your word, your action, your even eyes, you know, how they look. Everything must be according to the respect that that great personality deserves. So it's very much related to understanding his greatness and having love and respect and admiration for him. How can it be attained? Of course, it can be attained by knowing more his greatness and thinking more about our weakness. The more we know his greatness and the more we know our weakness, the more khashya would have question four it seems that if you allow um, if you have two, two questions so let us uh, just have these two and finish uh, okay uh, so question four is uh, uh, this question is unrelated to the lesson today I was reading divine justice in Ayatollah Muttahari talks about 
Shia argument against the Mu'tazila. One of the arguments which also apply to the Shia is the accusation that we are subjecting God to our understanding of divine justice. Rather, what God does should be the definition of justice. Okay, Atullah Mutahari never really addressed Yeah. You know, there are two things. One is whether God observes justice or not. And second is whether we can understand his justice completely or not. According to the Asharites, we cannot really say God observes justice. Because they say justice is whatever God does. It's a matter of definition. You cannot understand, according to Ash'ari view, when you say God is just, that what type of things, you know, he's expected to do. Anything that he does is justice. If he does what we think to be good or what we think to be bad, it doesn't make any difference. Indeed, they say, who are you to think what is good or what is bad, what is right or what is wrong? Who are you to say telling truth is good, telling lies is bad, keeping promise is good, breaking your promise is bad? No. We have no such understanding. We should refer to Allah. If he says telling lies is good, so telling lies is good. If he says telling truth is good, telling truth is good. Whatever he says, whatever he instructs, whatever he does is good, is just. If he sends good people to hell, that is justice. If he sends bad people to hell, that is justice. This we don't accept. This is very destructive. We believe whatever he says, whatever he does is just. Not by just bringing definition. It's a reality. It's an independent, objective understanding of what God does and say. We believe that he always says and does the things which are really good. Objectively good. Not that he fixes the terms and says, this is what I am doing, and you must say this is justice. No, this is not the way we understand God. Question 5. May you re-explain the difference between Rahman and Rahim? Yes. Rahman is sometimes used as a quality, as an adjective, sometimes used as a noun, proper noun proper name for Allah. If it is used as a proper name, so it refers to Allah. It's equal to Allah. You can say Allah, you can say Rahman. Also Rahman sometimes means uh, adjective, which means the one who is all merciful. Rahim also means merciful, but Ar-Rahman refers to Allah's all-embracing Rahman, and Rahim refers to the Rahman which he has for good people. So, there is a type of Rahmah that he has for everything and every being. That is Rahmah of Rahmaniyah. And there is Rahmah of Rahimiyah, which is for the believers and for good people. Question 6. What are the differences in elements of the soul for men and women? Okay, and question 7. Can you elaborate on verse 6? What is under the soul? Is there a more deep meaning? Okay. There are different elements in man's soul or male soul or female soul. Of course, they are both human beings and in humanity they are the same. Ayatollah Jawadi Amuli has a discussion and he says to be a woman or man is not related to the soul. Soul is not male or female. It's the body which is male or female. The soul is <coughs> free from gender. <coughs> but I think that, although I agree with this point, but I think maybe he doesn't want to say that there is no difference between their soul. He wants to say they are both human beings, but there are some elements also that even in the soul can be different. For example, women are given some type of attention or understanding that sometimes are not exactly the same as men. For example, women are more attentive to details than men. They both can understand. Even they can both understand details or 
general principles but there is a tendency in women towards details and in men towards general concepts which is very good indeed this helps them to understand things properly when they come together when they work together because you know you cannot understand everything at the same time so it's better if we have two people one focuses on one area another focuses on another area so they complete uh, complete each other supplement each other or for example women are more emotional and men are more uh, say serious or more rational but this doesn't mean that men have no emotion or women have no rationality it means that women are to express emotions more to show more love more mercy more kindness and men are there to make sure that emotions are not taking us away from the principles of course a man also should have emotion a woman also should have rationality and they have it but in each of them certain things become more obvious and then when they are together they completely match and completely supplement each other and then in the family we can have both sides together we can have love of mother plus guidance and wisdom of father of course father also should have love mother also should have guidance and wisdom but one of them should focus more invest more on one side the other on the other side so that both are uh, taken over if they want both to emphasize on everything then they may not be able to have them all so there are many things to be said inshallah gradually uh, we speak about these things uh, what is hidden in the earth of course literally it refers to the treasures and the elements which are there you know there are so many things that geologists tell us about the earth and what is you know under the earth and there are many things that still we don't know so many valuable and you know precious things are under our feet but also in a metaphoric symbolic way it may also refer to the things which are buried inside us but this type of interpretation that I don't want to follow because it's better if we remain within the boundaries of the literal meanings so let's say that here uh, we mean by what is under the surface of the earth from treasures materials buried people uh, um, remaining of previous uh, civilizations and so on and so forth okay let us stop here uh, I don't want to take uh, more of your time uh, we pray that inshallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to continue uh, with our reflections on the Quran and hadith inshallah and more than that we pray that inshallah he helps us to understand more and better inshallah may day by day our understanding becomes inshallah better and day by day our love and respect for Quran inshallah become more and more may Allah protect inshallah you your family your children your community may Allah protect our community worldwide may Allah protect humanity from anything which is bad and dislike may Allah make our Imam Zaman inshallah happy with us and hasten his reappearance thank you very much